scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. It's on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to read along. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This works out just well um, because we planned for Rachel to give uh, a special announcement, uh, a key new event that's upcoming that all of you are welcome to, but we wanted especially for parents uh, to be able to hear it, and sometimes parents are shuffling their kids in and out of classrooms, so we wanted to delay this announcement until this very moment. So here it is. Rachel, go for it. So as you've said, um, this is for everybody in the church. I often give announcements for mom's group, um, but this is something that's open to everyone. So we all know that raising kids is not easy, right? Nobody ever goes around saying, oh my gosh, I'm just, it's so, so dreamy, I'm just raising my kids, and it's so easy to do. However, if you live in the city, it p presents a special set of challenges, right? There's just some things that are, seem to be a little harder when you're raising kids in the city. Well, what if the city was actually one of the best places to raise kids. What if this was a great place to raise kids? So that's the thesis of a talk by Pastor Tim Keller, who is the t um, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He and his wife, Kathy, moved their three boys to uh, Manhattan in 1989. And I think probably just felt like, what are we doing? Huge leap of faith. And almost 30 years later, they've got three adult sons, all who've come to the faith. Um, and so Tim presents in a 30-minute talk um, eight reasons why the city is actually a fantastic place to raise kids. And there's a companion article by his wife, Kathy Keller. So we are going to do a panel discussion here at Mount Rona on Saturday, July 23rd, two weeks, two weekends from now. And we're going to have two families in our sister church, Grace Mosaic, um, the Moors and the Schaefers, who have older kids um, than most of us here have at Meridian Hill. And they're going to sort of have a, we're going to have a moderated discussion based on this article and talk by Tim and Kathy Keller. So an email has gone out to the community listserv. We will put it on the Facebook page. Um, hopefully we can put it on the website, other places. Um, if you can't come, please listen to the um, talk anyway because it's 30 minutes long. It's not a huge time commitment. And then there's a discussion afterwards. Um, but we just want to start opening up um, discussions about how is it to raise kids in this city and what are the pros and cons. And like this is a really encouraging and inspiring and thought-provoking talk. And I think the discussion is also going to be the same way. So I hope you'll join us. There will be child care, there will be food, and there will be coffee. So you have no excuse not to come. July 23rd, 930 to 1130 here at Mount Rona. Rachel. And I, I want to reiterate, <coughs> of course, urging uh, all of our parents to, to come out, but also urging those of you that are uh, married couples uh, without kids and those of you who are single as well. 
uh, because these are important issues for you to grapple with, whether if God has children in store for you in the future or if you are just someone that wants to engage kids in the life of the neighborhood and the city. Uh, lots of equipping and wisdom that is available to you in this event. So please do come in and out. You'll hear about it uh, over the next two weeks as well. All right. Well, we're continuing in our study of the Sermon of, on the Mount uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in Matthew chapter 6. Today, let's bow our heads together and let's pray before we look at this. Jesus, we are asking for you to be true to your word, meaning uh, you say that your word will come alive with power when your spirit blesses it and fills it and when our hearts receive it. And so please make good on that promise. Please be present here. Please help us to hear your voice. Please glorify yourself, Lord Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I walked out of the car lot with a brand new car, and I was absolutely miserable. I was in my mid-20s and had done a lot of research over many months, was in great need of a car as I was traveling a lot during graduate school, and needed some wheels. Doing my due diligence was a stressful process. Finally found the car that seemed to meet my needs. I had no idea what I was doing. Let me tell you the truth, I didn't. And finally, I was able to make a deal grabbed the car, turned it on, drove out of the lot, and I experienced what I knew I experienced many other times and many places in life, and that was buyer's remorse right away, unsure about whether or not that was the right thing to do, the right car to have. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, whether a big purchase or a small one, but where you suddenly realize that it's a complicated thing, this thing that you have in your hands or beneath your feet. For me, it was one of the most poignant early lessons when I started noticing that I've got this weird relationship with the stuff that I have. That it's not so simple as I love it too much or I hate it, but it's just complicated. The way that I relate to my material possessions, how about you? Jesus in this passage is teaching about the things that we treasure. That's the word that he uses. The things that we prize most dearly. And Jesus is warning us about making material things our treasure. In other words, he's talking to us about materialism. And he tells us really three things that we'll look at briefly together and then talk about in community through some Q&A. And that is... First, the meaning of materialism. Secondly, the problem with materialism. And thirdly, the healing of materialism. So materialism's meaning, its problem, and its healing. How can we grow? How can we be free? So let's look at this together. Number one, the meaning of materialism. You know, it's true that a lot of us actually misunderstand what the Bible says about materialism. Scripture's meaning of materialism. We often think that materialism means simply having a lot of stuff. So because we believe that that's what it boils down to, we say, well, I don't have a lot of stuff, so I'm not materialistic. Or we say, look, I hate shopping, so that must mean that I'm not materialistic. 
Or, or I like shopping, but I don't really do it more than other people do. It's also important for us to realize and remember that Jesus isn't here and is never saying that money in and of itself is bad or that material possessions are inherently evil. No, the Bible is very clear. And Jesus is very clear that we are to enjoy the good things, the blessings which our creator has given to us for our enjoyment. And yet he still does give us a warning here. What is materialism? What is its meaning? Listen to how Jesus talks about it. In verse 19, we're told, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. What Jesus actually says there is do not treasure for yourselves treasure. And he tells us in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in verse 24, he's talking about money and how it becomes your master. It becomes something that you serve. And, and what's a master? It's someone or something that exercises control over you and authority over you. Something that commands loyalty from you. And Jesus mentions how possessions can become your love in verse 24 using that language. Something you become devoted to. A word there that means to hold fast to or to cling to. So put it all together, what's materialism according to Jesus? It's not just having stuff, it's treasuring stuff. It's not, a, it's not the possessions in your hands as much as it's the possessions of your heart. It's when your heart clings to things. Materialism is when money becomes your master, begins to control your priorities, your relationships. It's loving your possessions too much. It's an inordinate love. In other words, it's idolatry. Jesus is pretty direct at the very end of the passage. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, he's telling us that materialism is believing that our money and our material possessions can give us what God alone can give. Security. Happiness. Significance status, intimacy and relationship, comfort. You know, it, it's so fascinating the ways in which our different possessions, whether the things we have or the things we wish have, really can tug on our hearts. Because it's not always just money or material things that we love or lust after, isn't it also the things that they promise to deliver for us? But in these terms, you can see why one of the reasons why we cling to money so tightly is because of the idols underneath the idols. It's not just that you're counting your gold coins. That's sort of the picture that we have in our minds when we think of materialism. It's what those coins can buy you. Love, security, comfort, the things that we worship rather than God. When we start to grapple with this definition, 
which just brings it so much closer to our lives, doesn't it? So much nearer, then we can start to confess with honesty. The first step towards healing and transformation, we can confess, yes, we are materialistic. We do struggle with this. I do, don't you? What are the ways your possessions have begun possessing you? And you know, you don't have to have a lot to be materialistic. Even if you don't got a lot, even if you're broke, if you live your life always and only wishing that you had more or wishing that you had stuff, then you have a materialistic heart too. You're still grasping, clinging, loving, worshiping. Because, you know, there's the materialism of the hands, of course, but then there's the materialism of the heart. And all throughout the Sermon of the Mount, if you've been tracking with us, you know that that's exactly where Jesus dives right into every single time. He's concerned about the things of the heart. And you've got to understand, too, the way this materialism thing works, it's, it's not just the things that you obsess over. Maybe the things that have come to mind as far as what you really want and you're thinking about it all the time. It's also the stuff you spend all the time spending on. It's the stuff you spend on but never really seem to think twice about. Tim Keller, who Rachel mentioned earlier, again, a pastor and author in New York City, makes a helpful point along these lines. This is what he says about the topic. If you want to know what really controls you, follow the money. If you want to know what you really rest your life on, what your real source of self-worth is, see where your money goes most effortlessly, most joyfully. You see, your, your money is actually a window right into the priorities of your soul, your treasure. It's not just the stuff that you obsess over that indicates the sources of your materialism. It's also the things that you most mindlessly spend towards. Because when you love what you're spending on or for whom you're spending, it never feels like you're spending at all. It shows what your master really is. It's humbling. Our money exposes us, doesn't it? Pastor and author David Platt says this, your money is an indicator of your heart. When you look at where you spend your money, you are showing where your heart is. Dear friends, where is your heart? I mean, will you take inventory, maybe even in the coming week, maybe in this very moment, take inventory of the places in the directions in which your money most naturally and easily and mindlessly tends to flow? What are the possessions and the places of spending that you are thinking most about as well? One of the best ways you can tell where you are most vulnerable to materialism are the places of the greatest anxiety. What are you most worried about? Because one of the ways in which we in our modern lives most try to solve our problems of anxiety and of fear is by buying 
our security and our comforts. Follow the trail. It's a humbling project, but it's also why it's good and right for us to actually keep one another accountable and to have conversations together about this, to grow in community. Dear friends, do you see the latent or maybe flagrant materialism of your heart? That's the meaning of materialism. Secondly, the problem of materialism, because maybe you're saying, what's the big deal? Okay, yeah, I struggle with this a little bit, but really, what's the real problem? And here's what Jesus tells us. Your money is making you spiritually blind. Materialism blinds us. Look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Well, what's going on here? What Jesus is saying is that our eyes actually help illuminate, kind of like a lamp metaphorically, help us to see and get around. It helps move our bodies around to do the things we want to do. In other words, what our bodies do, generally speaking, depends upon our ability to see. So if your eyes are healthy, then your whole body can see, can operate. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be impaired. You'll be stumbling around. In other words, Jesus is saying just as our eyes, even though, though they might seem like small body parts, it, just like they affect our entire body, so also the loves of our heart affect our whole life. The deepest desires, the treasures of our hearts impact the direction of our souls. And so again, Jesus is saying the same thing here. Materialism can make you spiritually blind. It can darken the vision of your soul. It can dull the heart and harden the heart. And you say, how is this? Well, there are a couple ways, I think. Number one, materialism blinds you to materialism. <laughs> materialism blinds you to materialism itself. You know why? Because nobody thinks they're materialistic. Right? Nobody does. Not naturally. It's always them. Uh, you know, no, it's the 1%. It's Wall Street. It's the power brokers in Congress. It's, 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 it's corporate greed. But it's not my greed. It's never me. And all of it is because nobody ever feels like, we never feel like we ever have enough. Even just this morning on social media, I stumbled across this cartoon, a little meme that it was entitled, What It Feels Like to Get a Paycheck as an Adult. And there was this cartoon figure who had a paycheck in front of him and then poured lighter fluid on the paycheck and then put out a match and then lit the paycheck on fire and then just watched it burn. I mean, it doesn't get any more cynical than that, right? But this is sort of what we feel like. Uh, this is sort of the complaint of our heart. It's never enough. And so, of course, you don't feel materialistic. Of course, you don't feel like you have a problem with your possessions. You don't feel like you have any to have a problem with. It's deceptive. If we understand how Jesus defines the problem, right? When was the last time you thought about the air you breathe? 
Sometimes the things you most think you need are the things you least think about. And just because you're not aware of the problem doesn't mean that it's not there. For most people in the Western world, materialism is the spiritual cancer that we don't even know that we have, and it's killing us. The grace of God, however, begins to open our eyes to see the root of materialism in our lives. We're blinded, but slowly we begin to be able to see, and we start to ask, you know, why, why am I spending on that? Have you asked yourself that lately? Uh, where we're used to, or maybe some of us are getting used to this idea of watching what you eat for your physical health, we need to get into the habit of watching what we spend as part of growing as a follower of Jesus. We do not do this, not nearly enough, in Jesus' name. And it's why we need to invite trusted friends into our lives, because materialism blinds us to materialism. But secondly, materialism blinds us also to ourselves. Materialism blinds you to yourself. It distorts your personhood. You can't see yourself straight anymore. Scholar Don Carson explains the most cherished treasure subtly but infallibly controls the whole person's direction and values. If that's really what's starting to control your life, you're going to start doing things that you otherwise in freedom would not do. Like taking a job that's really no good fit at all with your gifts and your loves, and yet you're doing it simply because of your money. Or the things that you're choosing to do with your body in terms of conforming yourself to a certain image of beauty. Jesus reminds us in verse 19 that our physical treasures are things that moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. You see, when we plant our identity in these things, we are basically signing up for a fragile identity. Because material possessions rust and fade. Moths eat your clothes. Rats chew through your houses. Has it happened to you lately? Probably. Thieves can rob your phone. If your identity is anchored in your phone, they've just robbed you your identity. Do you feel insecure? Maybe it's because you're hanging on tight to something so insecure. The stuff that we have. Dear friends, man, you're a prince in Christ. You're a princess in Christ. You are a child of the king, but you're living like a pauper. The grace of God breaks this link between our wealth and our sense of self-worth. Material blinds you to yourself. Materialism also blinds you to others. And this is a simple point. Because when you're obsessing or clinging or gripping onto your things, you never have enough to give it all away. Materialism kills generosity. We know that. It kills generosity. We're scared, we're anxious that our own needs aren't going to be met. Even against our best intentions to serve and to give, we cling tight. Because you cannot love money and care for people. 
Lastly, materialism blinds you to God. I mean, Jesus just makes this explicit towards the end there. No one can serve two masters, verse 24. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you say, okay, I have a money problem or a material possessions problem, but gosh, that's a little bit extreme to say I hate God. And well, what Jesus is saying is that we can be so devoted to our stuff and so committed to it and so controlled by it that by comparison, our attachment to God can only be described as hate. Because if you're clinging to your stuff so tightly, and if you haven't ever given up anything for the sake of knowing God, then it's not too far to say that you love that thing and you hate him. Will we take those sober words and understand that materialism indeed blinds us to God? Jesus later on in his ministry would say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Do you know that when you're clinging that tightly right in here, you cannot see God for who he is? His grace, his love, his provision. We know this, right? When you're most feeling resentful that you don't have enough, you cannot see the blessings that you have. And you're just sort of cranky and letting all these wonderful things fly by you, bouncing off of your heart with not a smile and not a word of gratitude. It's the way I feel all the time when I'm clinging too tightly. It might seem small like the eye, but materialism can wreck your life. Jesus keeps emphasizing the way the eye is, is a small thing, but the way it can impact your whole life. Whole life is the word he uses twice there. Because nobody thinks it's that bad, but it really can impact your whole life. So what's the hope then? What's the healing? How do we change? How do we grow? The healing of materialism will close here. Number one, you've got to set your heart on the things that are on God's heart. In other words, it never does, it's never enough simply to say, stop loving that thing so much. That possession of yours, that security, that car, that house, that hangout place, whatever it might be. You can't just say, detach and go away. What you need is to transfer your heart to other things that are more worthy of your affection and loyalty. Of course, that's God. But Jesus also says this, verse 20, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Scholar writer John Stott explains that to store up treasures in heaven is to do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity, temporal activities with eternal consequences. Jesus is inviting us to a totally different value system. What are the things that are the most treasured by God? Well, Jesus has been telling us about them all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. 
the cultivation of Christ-like character? Have you treasured humility lately? Do you see the heavenly fruit that that is? Have you aspired to grow in your love for love? Because you know that heaven is a world of love. Are you growing in the way in which you are searching for righteousness and justice, both in your personal life as well as your corporate life in this neighborhood and beyond? Suffering for Jesus' sake, forgiving a person that's harmed you, loving your enemy, living as salt and light, are these the things that are rising in importance to you, the things that you want to define you, the things that are the life of Jesus in you? Jesus is saying, do you see those things as mattering? Do you treasure those things, these heavenly qualities, which you can know and clothe yourself with in part here and now today by God's help? But one day when you see Jesus face to face, you will be clothed in with perfection of glory. This is your destiny. Is that the greatest longing of your heart? Is that the greatest treasure your greatest ambition, your deepest longing. Because we need to retrain our hearts according to the priorities and the treasures of God. Which brings me to this final thought. That we need to set our heart on the things that are on God's heart, which ultimately means setting our hearts on Jesus. The ultimate treasure. To love Jesus, to prize him, to surrender your life to him that he might rightly be called your master. To give yourself over to him, to embrace him, to make Jesus your only treasure, your ultimate treasure, your ultimate source of power and status, your ultimate source of security, your ultimate source of intimacy and love. What's going to really set you free from your materialism, but a greater love, a greater treasure. It's the dynamics of the heart, which an old Scottish preacher once described as the expulsive power of a new affection. What you need is not just to pull out the bad treasure in your heart. You need a greater treasure that just bullies out the bad stuff. A greater love for Jesus, which you'll never have until you know how much he has loved you so. Because this is the gospel, dear friends. Not that you treasured him, but that he, though you don't deserve it, so treasures you. The only way for your materialistic heart to be changed, since we're talking about change that has to happen, not just in your checkbook or your personal budget or in your wallet, 
But change that needs to start in the heart, the only way for your heart to be changed is for your heart to be gripped by how much Jesus treasured you. To hear the words of your Lord in Exodus 19, as he said to his people back then that he still says to you, you will be by grace my treasured possession. And as he says in Isaiah 43 through the prophet, that you are precious. You are precious, treasured, and honored in my sight, and I love you. Which is precisely the reason why it was his joy to lay down his life to die for you. That the one who was himself the treasure of all treasures would make himself poor, would strip himself of all glory and beauty and admirability. That he would be treated with cosmic indignity. That he would be slain not just at the hands of men, but at the hand of God taking upon himself the judgment that we deserve, yes, for our materialism, our idolatry, and so much more. Jesus, who so treasured us, that we're told that he endured that shame of the cross, that disgrace, that poverty of soul, and he endured it for the joy set before him. It was not an annoyance or a burden. It was a joy for him to suffer for you that you and I might become his treasured possession. Do you know this story? And I don't just mean knowing it in your head because we're talking about the transformation of your heart? Have you been gripped by it? Have you been gripped by him? That you might be able to say, not just I know Jesus or I believe Jesus or I've heard about Jesus, but I treasure him now because he has treasured me so. And then and only then will we begin to experience this freedom for which Christ has set us as we celebrate Independence Day tomorrow, it's worth taking the time to consider the spiritual freedom we're given in Christ, we're given in, in Christ as Justin so ably led us in prayer about. Because many of us, more than we like to admit, are today in chains to our many possessions. Christ can set you free. And when we experience that freedom when our possessions no longer possess us, then we find our grip on our things loosening and we bear the fruit of rich generosity. Because we don't need our stuff like we used to. We can give it away and give it away and give it away as a service of love and sacrifice and care for those around us. And we can actually start to begin to center our possessions on what we give and not just upon what we keep. 
where our budgets and our lifestyles are oriented around and anchored down by an ethic of generosity and sacrificiality. Where we begin to learn finally what Jesus meant when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to know the secret of that. I, I, I can barely say those words and, and claim to even know what that mystery means, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. On some occasions, I've tasted that. Have you? Don't you want to taste it more? The pure joy of having given, of having laid down your life, of living in a way where you're beginning to live like John Wesley, the old preacher, lived, where he insisted that the proper biblical ethic was such that with an increase in income, that what we should be increasing is our standard of giving and not just our standard of living. Because this is what freedom from materialism begins to do. This is what freedom in Christ begins to do. This is what knowing that you are Christ's treasured possession as demonstrated on the cross and resurrection, begins to do in your life. As you in return begin to learn to treasure him. Dear friends, today, what do you treasure? Whom do you treasure? Let's pray. And so we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to come and do a deep work in our hearts, where you have turned our attention and where you have said that work needs to happen. Make this process of growth and learning a joy and give us the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.